Well, in the year 716 A.D., a young 36-year-old man by the name of Winfred left his family of prosperity, his family of prestige, in order to become a missionary to the Germanic tribes in Europe. Just three years later, after being a missionary there in those tribes, he was called to Rome itself to appear before Pope Gregory II. Gregory, at that meeting, changed Wilfred's name. He changed his name to Boniface and officially commissioned him an evangelist to Germany. Go and evangelize the Germanic people was his mission. And within five years, Boniface, as he was now called, had so faithfully seen to that task that Pope Gregory appointed him the bishop over all the Germanic tribes. Within eight years, Boniface had gone from unknown in the church to a bishop over the Germanic territories. Boniface continued to devote himself to those churches in Germany and make multiple trips to Rome over and over again. And each time he would visit Rome, he would see the Pope once more and receive more honors and more accolades. His position would be elevated greater and greater. And after 10 years of more and more honors, Boniface was promoted to the archbishop over the entirety of Germany. Boniface was merely two steps away from becoming Pope himself. However, in 755 AD, at the age of 75 years old, Boniface left it all. He left his archbishop position. He left the privilege that it brought, the honor that it brought, the ease of life that it brought to once again become a missionary on the roads of Germany. Most men would have just enjoyed the fruits of their labor, 75 years toiling in difficulty and struggles. Other men would have encouraged Boniface to just enjoy what he has worked so hard to achieve. And yet God had laid hold of Boniface's heart and he would not be dissuaded from returning once again to preach the gospel to the German people. Within one year, Boniface would be ambushed by a group of Germans and murdered while trying to share the gospel at 76 years old. Some might call him a foolish man for returning to preach the gospel in such a dangerous territory, especially at his age. But today, we consider him a hero of the faith because he loved his Savior far more than the prestige of church office. This morning, we continue our series in the book of Hebrews. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 11 as we consider these cloud of witnesses. And this morning, much like Boniface, we will see a man named Abraham, a man of faith. We will see specifically how Abraham practiced risky faith through simple obedience, motivated by a future hope. Let us pray and then turn and read the word. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we have sung your praises. We have exalted the Son, Jesus, our Christ, our Messiah. And so now, Father, 
we turn to your word. And I pray this morning that you would appoint my lips, these words which will be spoken, that they may be truth and only truth, and that your spirit will do the work that only your spirit can do to bring the word and write it on the hearts of your people. Lord, I believe that you have a work to do this morning in our hearts. You, like a great surgeon, are prepared with your scalpel to come at our hearts and to make us healthy, to carve out what is crooked in us, to align what needs aligning. And so, Lord, our great physician, have your way with our hearts this morning, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Look with me now at Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be reading verses 8 through 10. Just three verses this morning. Starting in verse 8 here. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. One central message for you this morning. I want you to walk out of here knowing that Abraham practiced risky faith through simple obedience motivated by a future hope. I believe this summarizes what is in this text this morning. We're going to walk through those parts of that statement today, beginning with simple obedience. You see, Abraham had simple obedience. This verse has a lot to say, and yet really at its core, it's there in the very beginning. By faith, Abraham obeyed. The rest of it describes how he obeys, the manner in which he obeys, the circumstances around his obedience, but fundamentally, this verse says it is by faith that Abraham obeyed. And his faith is a rather simple obedience. You know, obedience is merely a submission to another person's authority or another person's will. Abraham submitted to God's authority over his life. And in case you're not familiar with the story of Abraham and his call from God, let me read it from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. Here's Abraham's call from God. Now the Lord said to Abram, Abram was his old name, it eventually gets changed to Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord told him, and Lot with him, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. 
So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him there. You see, the call of God on Abraham's life was really a simple call. Pack up your things and leave. He's very capable of obeying this. You are very capable of doing this. You could pack up. Some of you would be more difficult than others to pack up all your things. But you could pack up all your things and move. This was the call on Abraham's life. It was not a question of whether or not Abraham had the ability to do what God had said, but rather it was, would he submit to what God had called him to? Would he practice obedience? You know, at its core, obedience is a fairly simple thing. We train animals to obey, don't we? You can train your dog to obey. My in-laws have a black lab, they love their black lab. And they've trained their black lab in several ways. You can tell that black lab to sickum bears, like Baylor University. That's where we grow. So when you say sickum bears, the dog will raise its paw and then sickum bears. You can train that. It's true. It really can. The dog has been trained that if you say place, it will go to its bed. Even if it doesn't really want to, it'll like whine along the way, but it'll do it. You can train cats, you can train birds. I learned this week, you can train hedgehogs to be litter trained. Like, a hedgehog. Now, some of your kids may end up wanting a hedgehog after hearing that, but you can, in fact, train a hedgehog. You see, even animals are capable of obedience. Obedience is merely submission to another person's will or another person's authority. However, for us humans, it's a little harder than that, isn't it? It's a little harder for us to practice obedience because in our hearts, in that sinful state of our hearts, we really believe and we want to be the kings and queens of our own lives. This is what the scriptures describe as this this sinful state that goes beyond just sort of a fierce American individualism, and it's rooted deep down in a heart of sin that wants to say, no, I want life my way. I don't want to do what you want to do. I want to do what I want to do. I don't enjoy submitting to another person's authority. This is why children disobey their parents, because they believe they're better authorities in their life than their parents. This is why teenagers have a comeback for everything you say, like literally everything you say. This is why employees grumble about their bosses, because they think they could probably run things better than their bosses. This is why citizens of a country break the laws because they believe that either they are superior to them or they do not apply to them in that circumstance. You see, it is the the sinfulness of the human heart that says, I don't want to submit to someone other than me. This is why Abraham obeyed by faith. It is by faith that Abraham had to submit himself to God. It took faith to believe that God's authority over Abraham's life was better and superior to Abraham's. At its core, Abraham's obedience was simple. Pack up and go. It was a faith motivated not by coercion, not by compulsion, not even by reason. Abraham was not given the full plan. God didn't submit to Abraham a business proposal and asked what he thought about it. What do you think, Abraham? You want to make some modifications, set some goals and plans along the way? That's not what God gave to Abraham. He gave him a command, pack up and go. 
And he gave him a promise, I will bless you, and through you, you will become a blessing to all the nations. Question is, would Abraham obey? Would he submit himself? I believe that it is when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, he has this in mind, that obedience is a simple thing, even if it's not always an easy thing. When Jesus says, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Childlike faith is a beautiful thing in its simplicity, isn't it? Now take for a moment those times that your kids rebel and run away, right? There are those moments, and many of them, especially when they're young, that a child will just do what you say. They'll follow along. There's this childlike lack of need to understand the whys. I don't need to explain to you why all these things are happening. Rather, you'll just do them. And Jesus says, you ought to become like little children in obedience to God, your heavenly Father. Not having to have every little ounce of everything explained to you, but trusting him enough to simply obey, to do what he has said. That takes great faith. To know that your own authority is not worth listening to over the authority of God. Our passage reminds us that Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. Look there in the text. It says that he went out to a place where he would receive an inheritance. That's the promised land. He was going out to where he would receive an inheritance. That's his obedience of packing up and leaving. But how did he go out? And he went out not knowing where he was going. Again, God did not lay out the whole plan for him. He simply left and trusted God for the directions. And God doesn't always give you the whole plan. He instructs you to faithfulness. And then he asks you to trust him. You know, some of you here today, you've taken a step of faith. You heard what God had called you to, whether through his word or through the leading of the spirit, and you've taken that step of faith. But you still aren't sure why God has led you to the place where you presently are. Perhaps that step of faith has even made life more difficult for you or made you feel like you're stuck in the position that you're in. It's left you in a place of uncertainty. Yes, you've been faithful, but man, all of life seems less in control than it used to be. And you're not sure what God is doing. This uncertainty might even lead you to wonder if God really intended you to walk down this path in the first place. Is this really what God had for you? But let me tell you, brothers and sisters, if you're in that place today, it is not called faith for no reason. It is faith because it is what is unseen, the things you're not sure of. That place of uncertainty is a place where God can meet you and he can show up because you know you don't have control. If you had the whole thing laid out in front of you, it wouldn't be faith. For even unbelievers are willing to do things that they can see the outcome of. Christians are those who can walk by faith, not knowing where they are headed, as Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. So if you find yourself in that place today, take courage. Your God has not left you. He has not forsaken you. He's not called you out to a place to cause you harm. He knows the path that is before you. He will 
in his time, when it is right for you, best for you. He will reveal it, just as he revealed it to Abraham. Continue to practice a childlike faith and just trusting God more and more. Trusting his character over your own knowledge of his plan. And there may be, for some of you, steps of faith that you need to take. You know, there are those in this room, and I praise the Lord for your faithfulness and stepping out in faith, simply obeying what God has commanded you to do. There may be some of you, though, that are needing to take a step of faith. God's calling you to a step of faith. Some steps of simple obedience. You know, it doesn't have to be a complicated thing. We sometimes think, oh, God's going to make this a a big deal and everything that God ever calls me to is going to be some large thing that changes and transforms my life. No, not. I'd say God works more in the ordinary, everyday acts of your life, at least more regularly. What simple acts of obedience is the Lord calling you to? Is it service to another person or a neighbor to your church in some way? Is the simple act of obedience to disciple another person, to take on the spiritual well-being of someone who's not as far along in the Christian faith as you are, to believe that God has actually given you something to hand along to someone else? You may say, no, 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 I'm not there yet. I'm not mature enough yet. And yet if there's another brother or sister that hasn't been where you are now, you can help them. You can give them what you've been given. Is the Simple act of obedience, trust in Jesus Christ. Is there today a person among us who has not believed in him, not believed in Jesus' death and resurrection for their sins? Obedience to the gospel message is simple. Simply stop trusting yourself and start trusting God. Stop being your own authority and start saying that God can be authority over me and I will believe that Jesus is that king over my life, that he died for my sins. Any number of other acts of simple obedience. Is your act of obedience to be baptized? You've professed faith in Jesus Christ, and yet you have not publicly come before his church and said, let me put my stake in the ground. This is who I am, and I will follow Jesus Christ, come what may. Is your simple act of obedience to address conflict in your workplace, with your family member that you've been avoiding? You know, at its core, it's pretty simple. I think you know what you need to do. It doesn't make it easy, but it probably makes it pretty simple. What step of simple faith is God calling you to? He told Abraham, pack up and go. And Abraham did. He practiced risky faith through simple obedience, motivated by a future hope. Let's look now at that risky faith. Let's turn once again to verses 8 and 9. It says there, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place where he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Just because faith is simple, just because your step of obedience is simple, doesn't mean it comes without risks. There was a lot of danger involved in Abraham packing up and leaving. 
You know, you and I, if we think of this travel that we're supposed to take, oh, pack up from Philadelphia and move to Wisconsin. You think, oh, well, we, we can do that. We can pack up and move. For Abraham, going to the land which God would give him is not so much like you packing up here and going to Wisconsin. It's more like packing up in Central America and foot traveling through Mexico to the United States. It is a dangerous trek, full of all sorts of perils. For Abraham, he would have faced raiders, marauders, bandits, not to mention the established cities and kingdoms that he came into contact with. Is it any wonder that Abraham scared regularly as he goes along? Is it any surprise that he uses his wife to shield him from danger, that he would do things that we wouldn't want a good man to do? And yet he, is a, he knows the dangers that are in front of him. The step of faith was simple, but it was not without risks. There was probably a thousand reasons Abraham could have come up with to not go. He could have come up with any, he's 75 years old at this point. I know some of you in here, you're 75 years old, and if the car seat's a little too low, you got to go see the chiropractor the next day. Abraham was giving up a life that was established in Haran to live in tents. You know, you think if the car seat's too low, imagine sleeping in a tent every day sleeping on the ground, trying to set up and tear that thing down over and over again. He wouldn't even have a kid until he's 100 years old. I'm only 36 and I get tired sometimes. You see, simple faith is not always an easy thing. There was probably friends and family telling Abraham not to do this. Abraham, man, you're older. Don't, don't go. That's for a young man to go and do. You can't do that at this age. His friends, don't leave. Stay with us. We, we love you here. We want you to be here. You'll leave a hole. Or imagine Abraham's father-in-law. Are you kidding me? You want to take my daughter? She's older too. This is terribly risky for her. Don't take my daughter on this terrible, dangerous trip to you don't even know where. Simple faith is a risky thing. The kind of faith which God often calls his people to does not make sense, or at least does not make sense to our natural minds. This is why we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that the wisdom of the world is folly to God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. You see, the command of God regularly does not make sense to the human mind, to the sinful, fallen human mind. Sin has so corrupted us that God's good counsel, his good commands and his words seem like foolishness to us. Abraham, leave all that you have and go to the land that I will show you. Abraham, I got a thousand reasons why we shouldn't do that. Let me tell you, God, of all the things and all the reasons why we shouldn't pack up. It's foolishness, God. And yet God says, no, it is wisdom for Abraham. In 2,000 years, I need one of your descendants in Jerusalem at the right time, in the right place, because he must die the right kind of death so that he may atone for the sins of the whole world that my blessing on you, that you would bless all the nations, might come true. And Abraham, 
you need to go. In spite of all the reasons you shouldn't, you need to go because my ways are wiser. Or to the young woman who God calls, don't move in with your boyfriend. You've been dating him for two years, but yeah, don't, don't do that. To the world, that's foolishness. Are you kidding me? We're committed to one another. We've been together for so long. This is the next natural step in our relationship. And God says, no, my wisdom is greater than the foolishness of this world. For you are designed to be loved and protected and cared for. And moving in with that boyfriend with anything less than his full commitment of marriage, of those vows, sets you up for emotional and financial challenges if he ends up changing his mind. Sharing a home and a bed is meant really to be enjoyed within the beautiful context of those commitments. You see, the wisdom of God is sometimes so foolish to the human mind because the human mind is corrupted by sin. Hebrews chapter 11 there, in the beginning of this passage where we started our series, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is not based on what you see. It is rather based on what is unseen. It means that there's inherent risk to faith. So let me challenge you for just a minute. When was the last time your Christian faith led you to do something risky? When was the last time that you did something that was not reasonable to your mind? You had a thousand reasons not to do it, but you believed the Lord called you to it, and you did it anyway. Maybe that was just this last week for you. Praise God if you stepped out in faith, knowing the risks that were involved, and said, I love my Savior more than the risks that could happen. Perhaps you're getting ready to do that this week or this month. Perhaps you're preparing for a certain conversation that you know is going to take faith. Or perhaps, for whatever reason, maybe you've grown accustomed You've grown accustomed to only taking those actions which are reasonable and controllable. The kind of faith that saves us is the kind of faith which leads us to take risks. God calls his people consistently to risky faith. Think of Abraham leaving his comfortable home. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to bow down and receiving the fiery furnace. Think about Peter stepping out of a boat during the middle of a storm to walk on water. Faith is not without risk. The man who discipled me in my life is a man named Brian Sloan. He's been the man who probably invested the most in me in my life. Uh, He said this to me, and he regularly repeats this to me. He says, what step of faith are you taking that if God doesn't show up or God doesn't do his part, you're going to fall flat on your face? It's a challenge to me. What area of my life, what area of your life are you just trusting that if God doesn't do his part, whatever you're trying to do is not going to work out? Now, it's not an excuse for risky or uh, foolish behavior, you know, foolhardy behavior. But it is a challenge to say, sometimes God will call me to unreasonable things, things that don't make sense to my mind, 
And if he really has called me to that thing, then who am I to say no merely because I have 75 reasons not to do it? How has your faith led you to risky action recently? Abraham, he practiced this risky faith through a simple obedience, but it was all motivated by a future hope. You know, we have not yet mined the motivations. We've seen the what of Abraham. He left, and it was risky for him to leave. It was obedience for him to leave. But why? Why would he do that? We find this answer in verse 10. Let's just begin there in verse 9 again, and we'll read through 10. By faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Why would Abraham leave his life for a life of less comfort? You may say, well, it is because of his faith. And I would say, yes, you are correct. It is because of his faith. But his faith in what? See, faith is not an object in itself. We have to have faith in something. Abraham's faith is not a a blind faith in the idea of faith. No. There is an object, and it says here in our text, he was looking forward to a city to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham had faith that what God said would happen, that he would build Abraham into a great nation who would dwell securely in a city that has foundations. Now, notice our text doesn't say a city. You might think, oh, Jerusalem. It says the city that has foundations. This contrast to to his life in tents, he knew he was nomadic. He knew he was wandering around. He longed for established roots, but not just anyone, not just some city that his Jewish descendants would inhabit one day. He was looking forward to the city whose designer and builder is God. I think this throws us all the way forward to Revelation chapter 21 where we're told of this new Jerusalem, a Jerusalem not under the kingship of David, not under the time of the great uh, wealth and affluence of Israel. No, this is the new Jerusalem in Revelation 21, where it's under the kingship of Jesus Christ, a city whose very foundations are built and established by God. You see, Abraham was willing to leave everything that he knew to be part of God bringing about his heavenly kingdom on earth. Abraham was motivated by this future hope that God would fulfill all of his promises, that he would, in fact, become a blessing to all the nations, and that this city that would be built that's firm and fixed and designed by God would have God's blessing and that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Hope is a wonderfully powerful thing, and it will motivate you to do things that are risky. It'll motivate you to persevere when you should give up. Why does a cancer patient endure chemotherapy? 
The chemo is hurting their body. Their chemo is causing them to lose their hair. Their chemo is causing them to stay up at night. Why? Because there's a hope that when I'm done with this, my cancer can be gone. Hope will motivate you. Hope can be held onto. It can drive you to acts of faith, acts of obedience that do not make sense otherwise. Why would you go through trial to faithfully live according to what God has said? What would possibly motivate a person to kill sin in their lives? The sin which really brings us some joy. We actually like it. What would cause a person to forgive their enemy even when their enemy doesn't care to receive their forgiveness? What would motivate a person to speak truth to a friend though you know that person will only revile you for it? What would lead a person to give up the ease of retirement for the diligent service of others? It is the hope of something much greater, something much better in the future. The Christian puts to death sin because the sin that we even enjoy because we know there is greater joys found in Jesus Christ. The Christian forgives their enemy because they are a citizen of a kingdom that is marked by forgiveness. The Christian risks friendships to speak the truth because they desire that all would be welcomed as Jesus' friend. The Christian works diligently in this life, not just merely kicking up their feet in retirement and enjoying this life, but they work diligently in it because they know there is a rest that is to come. And so while it's today, we have work to do. Consider the words famous from Jim Elliot, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. Those who live by faith live by a hope in the future promises that God will accomplish all that he has said. And so today we've seen Abraham, how he practiced a risky faith through simple obedience, motivated by this future hope. And yet Abraham, as all the people in Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham is not the point. Abraham is the pointer. He points forward, and specifically to chapter 12, where we're told, therefore, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weights and the sins which cling closely. Get rid of those things. So that what? So that you might run with endurance this race before you, looking to Jesus. You see, here's the point. Abraham's the pointer. Abraham was a good man of faith, yes, but he was a broken man as well. He hid behind his wife when he was scared. He tried to shortcut God's plan by sleeping with his wife's handmaid. You see, every person in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 is not the Savior. They're not the ones we are to emulate. Their faith is worth emulating, but that's because they emulate another. Jesus Christ, who had the riskiest faith, who practiced the simplest obedience, who was motivated by the greatest hope 
You see, Jesus' faith was so risky, it cost him his life. He was willing to die to step out on faith in his father's plan. His act of obedience was simple. Do not get off the cross, which he could have done. Stay there. Let them crucify you. Simple faith. Not easy faith, but simple faith. All motivated by a future hope. And what is that hope? That his father would raise him from the dead. And in raising him from the dead, he would bring many sons and daughters into the kingdom which God had promised to bring about. You see, the author of Hebrews wants us to fix our eyes, not on Abraham, but on Jesus Christ. To walk as Jesus walked, which is the same road that Boniface walked, which is the same road that Abraham walked. Walking in risky faith through simple obedience, motivated by future hope. What has God called you to do? How will your story be written into Hebrews chapter 13 on the last, Hebrews chapter 11 on the last day? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have been merciful and kind to us. We do not deserve in the least your mercies and your grace. Please, Heavenly Father, teach us the faith of a child. Attune our ears and our hearts to your word. And having heard your command, teach us to simply obey. Forgive us when we decide to go our own way, to become the authorities and the kings of our own lives again. May the Christians of our church, your people here, May we be found to be good and faithful servants on the last day when your Son, Jesus Christ, comes in all his glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.